You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. to trading card games, which some people simply cannot imagine. To a certain degree, this is because an imagination is in fact required. There's a freedom that comes of what you can create with such games. For the longest time, we primarily saw games like Magic the Gathering, which inspired an endless list of clones, some of them which were exceptional, and Yu-Gi-Oh! With game development tools becoming a lot simpler to code with, we're seeing small teams of independent developers come up with exceptionally unique games which meld card games with a variety of other genres, from tactics and board games to D&D-type dungeon crawlers, such as Hand of Fate, which we'll be discussing this evening. At times, a magical D&D experience with your own personal dungeon master across the table from you with your dungeon laid out as cards on the table. And when combat comes knocking on your door, as it's often wont to do, you get an action RPG encounter where you get a much more tactile battling experience. Now, I reached out to Defiant Development a few weeks ago, and they were kind enough to send us each keys for us to enjoy the game. And I can honestly say, while I've only put it a couple of hours in, I certainly do enjoy the game tremendously. But... As has been made abundantly clear in prior episodes, I am a sucker for card games. So let's find out what the guys think. Vince, we'll start with you. What did you think of the game? The last two Saturdays, I almost starved because <laughs> I didn't want to go get dinner. It was, okay, one, one more hand. It, I was, still am hooked <laughs> on this game. Joe? I really, really enjoy what they're going for here. Like, I like the direction of the game. Not quite to the point where I'm going to be starving uh, myself on a weekend, (laughs) but fairly close to to that level of engagement. My only gripe with it is that at times the combat system can be a bit jarring, and I'm hoping that that kind of works its way out. Yeah, you can see how there's definitely some room for improvements with the the game right now. Now, what I've read as well from a variety of people who've been playing it, overwhelmingly it's a positive response to it. But there are people who are saying once you get in quite a bit deeper into the game, it does ramp up to a difficulty level that... No shit. <laughs> <laughs> How far are you guys? See, I'm not, not that very far. far. I'm in the second tier right now. So I okay, haven't gotten I'm, to the end. I'm on the King of Plagues, which is the second to last right. challenge. Oh, I heard those last two are nuts. shit. Yeah. And the problem, <laughs> and the problem, not to, well, it's a, it's a problem and it's not, is that it's heavily dependent on RNG as well. So sometimes it won't be as difficult. And other times an encounter that you should be able to get through no problem, you get screwed over. And Mm -hmm. that bothers some people because they feel they've, they've stacked their deck enough and they've done everything that they needed to, and it should work out. But for me, the way I look at it is 
I like that that's in the game. That's that's what adds this element of unknown so that it doesn't matter if you think, oh, this will be a breeze I can get through. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're out of freaking food or whatever. And I, again, I really like that element. Yeah, there have been situations where I've been literally starving to death and had to sell my sword to buy food. Like, that's great. Like, that's not a story that's being told in the game. It's just something that happens and becomes yeah. part of your journey. Yeah. And you also have the ability to improve your odds. Like, what was it? I think it was the last encounter on the second tier. I forget exactly which which boss it was. Uh, maybe Queen of Plagues, but whatever. And I was stuck on that one forever. It took me probably six or seven run-throughs, but... Every time I went through, I was completing different cards, earning more tokens, getting better encounters, getting better gear available for me. So even if it is difficult, like the RNG can sometimes be against you, you can just sometimes power through it as well. But I feel like I feel like that's sort of the quintessential essence of this game, right? The game is called Hand of Fate for a reason. Mm -hmm. It it is entirely a game of chance, no matter how much you stack the odds in your favor, things can go wrong. It's like playing craps. You can shoot snake eyes. It's going to happen. It is a statistical probability. At some point it will happen. And I like the fact that no matter how well you do, that is always an option in this game that something can go horribly, horribly wrong. Did you guys see the screenshot I tweeted out Saturday? No, I didn't. Saturday? No. All right. Give me one second. I'm going to link it in Skype. See, one of the things going back to that that I, I like is that because of how I perceive the game as, um, as again, a game of chance that you're playing, same as if you're playing cards or whatever kind of thing, it's not like a an MMO or an RPG where if you die or if it does, the encounter doesn't work out, you feel as if you've wasted all that time. That's not this. This is just you're playing. So whether you lose or you win, of course, you're going to be further ahead if you win, but it's you're spending the time playing the game. I'm not looking at it as a grind to get to the end. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at it as the same way as if I was sitting down playing a game of solitaire, just way more interesting and when you play Way more creepy yeah so when you play it like that it's a lot more enjoyable well I, I guess this would be the same as you setting up a mirror while you're playing solitaire raj that is hurtful and quite frankly there was no reason for it you're right roger wouldn't want to play with himself either okay are we done because really do we <laughs> do we want to start talking about me playing with myself is that the image that you guys want in your head yeah i can yeah. take it or leave it um so let's talk about the game for a minute here. I, I'll pull up your screenshot there before we. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and say, <laughs> damn, Vince. Here's the best part. Yeah, I got to four. So I trust I me, I don't. I still beat the boss on that run. Beautiful. Wow. Well done. The cards were really against me and then really in my favor. See, I got to the point where I was like, okay, my maximum HP is one. So at that point, I was just going for broke. I was like, well, let me earn as many tokens as I can before I die. And just as luck would have it, it all worked out. <laughs> I got to four at one point and I had next to no food left. And I was I was literally counting the amount of turns I had left. And it was like, and you never know what card you're going to get next either. 
so you could land on some stupid encounter that'll kill you or whatever. And I had four, and like I said, only a couple of, of food left. And I landed, and it was it was the glorious fairy chick, <laughs> the elf one. That was like, <laughs> what would you like? Food, lots of food. <laughs> And then you just kind of wander around a bit to keep getting the food buff in you so that you have a little bit more. But see, that's the kind of thing that I love is that you have – you're not limited in terms of how you want to play. When you start off, there's – it's typically the cards in a row and you don't have a lot of flexibility in where you want to maneuver and all that. But as you get deeper into the encounter or as you are further up in levels, there's more complexity and then you have a little bit more freedom about how you want to move around. And I found that super interesting, especially when you factor in the various merchants that appear as well. And then you just remember where they were so that if you wind up getting the card that allows you to get tons of money every time you hit an opponent in actual battle I love me that card then all of a sudden you've got a bunch of money backtrack to the merchant pick up some more gear or food or whatever and then keep going on your adventure and I love that it allows you that freedom to 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 play that way see I also get some of that nice uh like binding of Isaac style gameplay where you come across that great combination of items that really works for you like at one point I was on the final floor, like, you know, and so I was maybe two cards away from the boss. I had no HP and the card right before the boss was a shop. I had just enough money. I bought the ring that you can only use it once, but whenever you use your weapons ability, you regain full health. And then I actually downgraded my weapon to one that actually had an on-use ability. So at the beginning of the fight, I was able to heal to full health. <laughs> that's awesome. that, That's a combination that would not have worked at any other point except right there. See, and I think, I think you hit on something that I really enjoy about this game in general. Like, It's no surprise that I enjoy roguelikes after I prattle on about Biden advising multiple times. This game has that same element, like you said, where the, you, you're learning different combinations. And that experience, that that evolution of learning as you're playing the game is what really pulls me into games like this. I, I, I truly, honestly, 100% enjoy when, like, you found that combination with the ring and the weapon where it, it forces you to sort of think outside of the box and you're rewarded for it. Yeah. Like, down, how many people would, would think to downgrade their weapon, right? That's not something that most games kind of encourage you to do. It's like, well, we're going to keep upgrading so you're more powerful. No, here you downrank your weapon so that you could get an effect that basically propelled you into the victory seat. And that's amazing. I love that this game allows for those sort of things to happen because just as it can be horribly, horribly wrong and everything's on fire after everything was going great for a while and you die because you're starving because you ran out of bread because you angered the Frenchman to you pull that exact right card Everything falls into place, it clicks, and then everything goes right. I love that feeling. It's, it's, I don't want to say an adrenaline rush, but it's sort of on that same par. It's that, that moment of epiphany almost where it's like, yes, it's that eureka moment where everything just works and this yep. game has it. Yeah. And the fact that, again, it's, it's at its heart a card game that allows you to feel that. And, a card game that is steeped in atmosphere. So if you allow yourself, which 
anybody who's listened to podcasts past episodes knows I really allow myself to get sucked into these things. You really, really do have that moment where you cheer. Again, I haven't gotten as far as, as Vince, but even the ones that I've done where it's wound up being a difficult encounter just because the cards were not going in my favor whatsoever, or I screwed up something just because I didn't quite get the mechanic initially. And then you, by virtue of whether it's gear or whatever, it's just fun. Like one of the ones that I did, I was, um, I was buying gear and there was a bunch of different stuff. So I, but I didn't have a ton of money. So I bought only what I thought would be the best, which was an enhanced weapon. And, and I bought um, a chess piece as well. So I thought, okay, well, this is, this will help out quite a bit. And then <laughs> I'm walking around a ledge and there's rocks falling on me. So I managed to, to win a success role for, to be able to like av- avoid most of them. But then something else happened and there was some, obviously some bandits at the top you find out later shot some more down and bashed me in the head and then i got robbed <laughs> and they <laughs> and it tells you too like helms or are important in south florida saturday yeah yeah so they tell you like helms are important so the next turn that i had as soon as i got to a merchant it's like helm buy it and as it would happen same freaking thing happened again and this time they they bounced and didn't even hurt me right off the head. It was like, good thing you were wearing a helmet. It was like, ha, I, it was literally one of those, ha, ha, the screen <laughs> won't fool me twice. It's actually really cool how your gear will affect the cards, not yeah. just the other way around. Like as I'm delving farther and farther, uh, I'm adding in, you know, just some easy encounters that I can, you know, get by real quick where, you know, it's only one failure and only one shuffle. So I know I can uh, pass that a hundred percent of the time. So but as you're going on, you start your starting gear upgrades. So now I'm wearing as starting gear medium armor instead of light armor. So crossing that rope bridge is now harder because my character is heavier yeah. from the. That is mm-hmm. like I was not expecting that. I was like, wait a minute, why are there two failures here now where there was only one before? Oh, and then like that moment of remembering. Because previously it said, oh, yeah, your light armor allowed you to succeed in this very simply. It's something the game told me hours previously that I did not pay attention to and stabbed me in the back for it. Well, it's not necessarily, too, that you don't – you weren't paying attention. It's just that you wouldn't have imagined they'd Mm -hmm. incorporate that into the game in such a way because he tells you – oftentimes about different things that are going to be happening due to the new weapons and all that. And that's the other thing going back to what I was saying earlier, like the, a, the voice acting is spectacular in this game. This is amazing voice acting. But on top of that, the writing is very clever, very Mm -hmm. atmospheric and very well done. And I like that he continues with whatever little snippets he's doing, regardless of if you're flipping cards, doing something or whatever, he still continues with his spiel kind of thing. So it makes it feel very much like you're at that table and in that environment, it creates again, that, that immersive feel that is very important for this type of game. Oh yeah, the the narrator uh voice acting is phenomenal. Yeah. The the one thing that I noticed immediately is that you pretty much have to 
have a system like I, it's not hard on your system, but you really want to be able to crank up the settings to as high as possible. Initially, the default settings, the game really doesn't look all that great. But holy crap, man, you crank up those graphics and play at full and it mm. looks amazing. It's using the Unity engine as well and it just looks great. You need and, to though because at lower levels you get some weird artifacting too. Right now, I don't know if you've noticed with the uh, call it, uh, the narrator's face, his cowl will kind of like clip through his neck in a really yeah. awkward and very creepy way at low settings. <laughs> but again... And it's, it, like you said, it's not demanding at all. My computer is four years old at this point and it wasn't top of the line back then and i can play it at max no problem yeah yeah i've been playing it at 4k maxed everything and it's glorious the even the the battle encounters initially when i tried them they were on the lower default settings and it was like ew this is what this is gonna look like and then i cranked up the settings it was like damn that is good <laughs> and then the those battle settings very much and maybe it's more so because i'm in that frame of mind because i'm playing batman in arkham city now <laughs> but even my son was watching me play and said wow that looks a lot like the batman fighting especially because of all the tumbling because again i'm playing batman so right now i'm like space barring all the time so i'm bouncing around like a mad fool and then hitting them from behind so i'm loving the battling absolutely loving especially when you get down into that second tier and now all of a sudden you have to also contend with shit shooting out from the walls and the floor and it's it's adding a whole new element to it yeah i'm not going to to ruin the surprise of the encounter i'm stuck on but i've had to relearn how to play the game because of the limitations that they're putting on you later on oh yeah and hmm. it's, but it's a it's a rewarding experience though yeah yeah, are you playing with controller or keyboard more than most? Uh, keyboard, but I can definitely see it would play better with a controller. That's what I, I found. Had to, as well. I had to go to a controller to get through the combat sequences. I had to. Yeah, I've been doing the keyboard, but again, mainly because I've been just playing Batman, so I'm in that frame of mind that it's no big deal. But as I'm playing, I was thinking, I need to find my controller and plug it in because this screams controller. So, mm. well, have, having a Naga helps as well. So, yeah, the uh, but yeah, the I enjoy the combat some people i've read have said that they find it is repetitive i personally i'm fine with it because keep I, playing it does not get repetitive yeah. later on also, if it's repetitive that just means you haven't unlocked enough shit right true and the other thing that's cool too is the ability to do your own deck building or to have it select what it deems to be the best deck for the encounter or whatever lies <laughs> But again, giving you that opportunity to craft your deck however you want mm -hmm. as well is cool. That being said, I still will periodically just say, here, choose it for me, because I find that there's then that nice air of mystery that you don't quite know what you're going to get either. Well, and there's also the, the other layer of some of the cards will be locked into your deck based on various uh, criteria, either the the dealer's decision or some of the side story stuff that you come across. Like later on, I, I had these three cards that were stuck in my deck called rat men hunting. Yeah. And I it was just a, an account, an encounter with rat men, but it's like a small playing field and rat men can get annoying when they start you know, ganging up on you. And there were no rewards for it whatsoever. And the only way to get rid of it was to find the King and have the 50 gold pieces on hand to pay off the King. And then like, 
it's that cool side story, like, I don't even want to call it side story because, like I said, there's no story, but the gameplay becomes the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's all about lore, not necessarily too, right? story. Sorry, what was that, Joe? That's kind of the whole point of the game, right? Like, yeah. It's supposed to very, very seamlessly blend the storytelling and gameplay together, and I think they're hitting that mark fairly well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, any parting thoughts? If you guys haven't played this game out there, seriously consider it. It is very, I can't say interesting in a good enough way. It is worth your time. And I don't say that about very many games. Don't fuck with the mages. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's an encounter relatively early on that you're like, oh, you come across some mages. And then, you know, you beat up the mages, you get the token. And then the dealer even tells you they're not going to like that. Every and and it's one of those things. Okay, the token unlocks another encounter, and then you beat that, and it unlocks another encounter to the point where the last time I died, I was killed by the lich that the mages summoned in their ritual. That (laughs) is awesome! Oh my god, (laughs) that is awesome! And it it wasn't like it's portrayed at one hundred percent as an extra boss encounter, like with the special intro and everything. I was like, wait, I'm not supposed to fight a boss right now. What's going on? Well, they decided otherwise. Enjoy. Yep, because I messed with the mages. <laughs> now, the one thing that, and, and I say this having not spoken to the developers, so I don't know if this is what they're intending or whatever, but playing this game, you can easily see how all they would have to do is develop some new cards and you could have entirely mm-hmm. new experiences. Mm-hmm. And because the foundation is there, and the foundation is solid and really well done. It would just be a matter of shoving some new decks and boom, you suddenly have again, these new dungeon quote unquote experiences. And I love that. Even if it's a DLC where you pay, as long as it's not too much to unlock a deck so you can have brand new experiences. I would love that. Yeah. Even once I'm done with the quote story mode, I guarantee I'm going to continue playing an endless and continue through those higher tier encounters to get those those side stories and unlock all the cards. Absolutely. They're, you don't need the carrot of the, the story mode in front of me for me to want to continue playing the game. Yeah. So the I will say this as well, and this is not for sure either, but the devs did say that they would be interested in popping by and chatting with us about the game. So maybe in a future episode, we will have them on and ask them some questions, which would be a lot of fun because I got some questions that I would like some answers to. And <laughs> Why would you do that? Yeah, I would like to know if we can expect this to go on and have a, a variety of other encounters thrown in as well. So would you say you hate your players on a regular yeah. basis? <laughs> the uh, Okay, let's move on. So again, Hand of Fate, big, big encouragement, people. Check it out. It is a lot of fun. Last week, we had South by Southwest 2015. And while there wasn't a ton of news that was really worth talking about that wasn't already covered from PAX and GDC, they did have their awards. And of course, Game of the Year, I shouldn't say of course, but the Game of the Year went to Dragon Age Inquisition this year. So Vince, I'll let you give us an update on some uh, some Dragon Age news. It's actually been kind of interesting seeing all these Game of the Year awards because there hasn't been one standout Game of the Year. Like 
Dragon Age has won a bunch. Destiny has won a bunch. Heck, Bayonetta 2 has won several Game of the Year awards. Because there, there wasn't a Last of Us this year. There was no single game that was by and far better than everything else that came out. Honestly, this year, putting out a game that works makes you a game of the year contender. <laughs> but it's cool How seeing sad is that. Yeah, seriously. But it's cool seeing Dragon Age still getting praise. And there was actually a, a great interview I read last week on Eurogamer with uh, Mike Laidlaw, who is the director of the game. And he's continuing to talk about how grateful he is for the reviews and the fan response because it's like we were talking about last week with final fantasy 14 bioware knows they fucked up with dragon age 2 and like he's like yeah we tried something different and it failed like making jokes about their yes our number one in our design document for dragon age inquisition was more than one cave and stuff like that but it's great to see that they took that criticism and really ran with it. And he talked a lot about uh, the Frozen Bite engine that they used and how it was the engine that was designed for the Battlefield games, which are gigantic with these huge environments and all this stuff going on. So when he saw that the engine allowed for these gigantic environments and all this dynamic architecture and uh, geography, that that's really what led them to design the game the way they did with all the side stuff and he even goes on to say that they put all this side stuff in there. And as we've said previously, there's a ton of side stuff in the game just to give players something to do. Because as he said, Dragon Age 2 was really just a series of big story moments one after the other. There wasn't a lot of downtime in Dragon Age 2. And he wanted to give players some downtime. But they didn't expect players to spend 400 hours doing the downtime activities and ignore the story bits but uh, yeah you kind of have to expect that from players but i guess for whatever reason they didn't but he goes on to talk about how he doesn't say that developing the game for 360 and ps3 held back what the game could have been but i'll say it <laughs> because they showed off some cool stuff in previous years uh pack at one of the PAXs. uh year before the game came out they showed off this awesome mode where you were managing the actual inquisition and your keep defenses and stuff that they had to completely scrap just because the technology wasn't capable of it which as kind of an effect i notice without needing your inquisition to have all that other perks and stuff that's kind of what all that side stuff is for because the side stuff doesn't just level up your character it levels up your inquisition but there's really no purpose for it anymore because it had to be taken out on the game. So it, you can definitely see how some of the limitations unfortunately held the game back. But he's actually really excited, you know, going forward into the future. Talking about DLC, this is the game's been out for, well, God, what, almost six months now. And this is the first yeah. he've heard of DLC. And he even said, we got blasted for talking too much about DLC when Mass Effect 3 came out. So with Inquisition, we just want to focus on the game. And once we're ready, once we have the next bit of story we want to tell, then you'll know about it. And he even goes on to say, have either of you guys finished the game? No, no, not even close. OK, he even goes on to say, because there's a huge like post credits, you know, Marvel style stinger at the end. We may not have to wait until the sequel to get the resolution for that. That may just be a DLC expansion. See, and that would be cool. I like the idea of having DLC expansions that are wholly stories in and of themselves as opposed to just 
these additions that you throw on to a game mm-hmm. for the sake of doing it. Give me a purpose to install your DLC and I will install it. It's kind of like the Bioshock Infinite DLCs. I enjoyed those with the uh, the Burial at Sea because they were a progression of the story leading to a finalization. I enjoyed that. I had no problem shelling out for that. But a lot of other games don't have that same uh, scope of view would be the best way I could say it. Well, mm-hmm. They don't, they don't care. That's Bioware as well. I mean, we just have to look all at right, yeah. all of their different DLC and some phenomenal, some of them, obviously just a money grab. That's completely pointless. So they, they, they know how to do it right, but they don't always hit the mark. Right. And here it looks like they're getting closer back towards that mark. So if they do it, they do it. Well, I'm okay with them. You'll get my money again. <laughs> Just don't <laughs> don't fuck it up. Please don't fuck it up. And then as one last note, this is uh, separate from the interview, because I have not heard anybody discussing this. I, I think it was last week, either when we were recording Popcorn Ronin or Comic Book Informer, uh, David Gator on Twitter announced that he was leaving Dragon Age. I didn't see that. Yeah, he's moving on to another project internally at BioWare. He didn't say unnamed what. project, yeah. Uh, which surprises me because I didn't know they had another unnamed project in the works. Yeah, they talked yeah, about it. The, the guy that pretty much represents Dragon Age story and character is done with Dragon Age. But that kind of makes sense, though, too, because the, when we talked to him a long time ago, and I surprisingly enough, I just recently listened to that episode, uh, he talked about Dragon Age being a trilogy. He mm-hmm. talked about having a very clear path in his mind for the story and having the story be a trilogy in that same epic vein as all of the classic trilogies we grew up and loved. So I'm not terribly surprised by, by that when I saw it. I wasn't really like, oh, no, my beloved Dragon Age. It's no. I, I expected this. I kind of saw this coming. And I'm happy to, that he's still within the company. And I'm really looking forward to the next project that he's involved with because, honestly, I love this man's writing. It is mm-hmm. phenomenal, and I can't wait to see what else he produces. Yeah, they talked about the next project, but it was, well, they, they they hyped that they were working on something else, but they really didn't give a lot of information of what it actually was. There was that trailer that showed a few things, but I can't, turn, I, I can't remember if that was an E3 or what that was. Well, that might have been Shadow Realms, which was just canceled. No, no, it was something else. Okay. But yeah, so they were talking that they were working on something something new. So, and it was a new IP for them as well. So that's quite likely what it is that he's working mm-hmm. on for them. And in my opinion, that's fantastic. Like Joe was saying, like he knows how to write. So putting him in charge of, well, not necessarily in charge, but working on that new project gives me a lot more faith in whatever that new project is going to be. Right. And, and at the same time, it allows somebody with fresh ideas and new blood to come into Dragon Age yep. and do something yep, like that. Exactly. And sometimes that's what you need to revitalize it. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's move on. One of the other things that we did see at uh, South by Southwest as well was we got this epic freaking Star Jesus. Citizen trailer montage thing. Oh, that, yeah. Once again, like I was saying last week, <laughs> I'm in that mindset that I need me a good space game. And... Again, Star Citizen scares me just because it's so <laughs> you, wanna, you wanna know what's even scarier? Expensive. I have a real life a real life acquaintance 
that is $8,000 in the hole for Star Citizen Art. Oh, my God. How? That's just stupidity. No offense to your friend, but that's no, not stupidity. A Acquaintance. Yeah, that's... Let's say, if he's Joe's friend, I mean, we have to take that intelligence factor into account to begin with. Like Bro when I talk about my friends. I was going to say, brother, I wouldn't say too much. We've heard about your friends. But yeah, he's, he's $8,000 in the hole for this game already. He is so far up this game's ass. It's not even funny. How is that even possible to spend that much money without... You keep pre-ordering modules and you keep pre-ordering... Yeah, I know, but you, you smarten up at some point and realize how much... He's one of those guys that kind of just has more money than he knows what to do with. Okay, well, if you've got the cash forward, then hey, more like, power to you. Like, so the game has your credit card on file and it's just a one-click purchase. You don't notice until the bill comes. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he's going to wind up single-handedly funding like an entire eighth of this game by the time it's done. Man, but yeah, that's the thing. Like, I would love to back this game. But it scares the shit out of me, especially when you factor in the um, the 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 quote unquote insurance. And if you don't, you've just lost your goddamn ship that you spend money on and all that stuff. So it's like, ee, I that's that's not cool. I, I spend a couple of hundred on ship. It better fucking be with me for life. <laughs> like when I die, I'm being buried in that <laughs> digital <laughs> ship. They, they, all better, right? they better deliver a gold casket that is shaped like your, your favorite ship. ship. Yeah. That's what, yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, people are just well, there's working over tons right? of money for this. Well, I, I, right? Like the, the technology has improved to the point where games like this can exist yeah. in a very pretty space. Now you're proof of this with your 4k screen. Yeah. Five. <laughs> 5k <laughs> i had to say it makes a difference i can fit a 4k screen in my 5k and still have a lot of room on the sides uh anyways the the video we're looking at here like just to run through some of what we see you got not just in the ship action going on but we see what it's going to be like to a certain degree while you're outside of the ship so you got a lot of the first person encounter or whatever you want to call it some flying around some jet packing through space which was kind of like a drift really cool stuff mm -hmm. i loved the first person action shooter action going on as well had a very mass effect meets destiny kind of thing going on to the point of when he's pulling one guy's pulling the other who's mm -hmm. injured away and i was like dude that's awesome right there when's the last time we've ever seen that if ever really in a game maybe it's in some of the that call of duty scripted sites. what's right. that that, that wasn't, wasn't scripted because i've seen plenty of things like that in games but it's always been in a script yeah, see encounter. i really this haven't was, seen that much this is it. just out there that's a gameplay mechanic yeah that was awesome freaking spaceports were insanely gorgeous and with full weather effects going on as well kind of thing like you're walking around those spaceports and the people walking around and it feels authentic to what your imagination would think this is what a spaceport should look like kind of thing i love the look of it but plus you've got the the security forces booking people kind of <laughs> stuff. You've got clubs, the med bay. You've got the crafting station kind of thing, and the the where the 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 um, the aircraft manufacturers are. You can go and buy your ship right from them and fly off with the goddamn thing right outside the door. Again, in terms of atmosphere, without even having gotten into your cockpit, was just spectacular. So. Here are my fears for this game. As much as I love it and I want to really, like, I want to invest in this game. I really, really do. 
but I have some fears and it's things that pop up every time there's an interview with the devs. And every time they talk about the game in general, they bring up the point that you can go for a long swaths of time in real time without running into an inhabited world or another player. Cause there's a big emphasis on the exploration. They have not talked really, at least not that I've seen about how, if there's going to be like hub worlds or like major points that everybody just knows exists, or if you're just going to be thrown out there to find them yourselves. That's my big fear. That's my big point. That's the one that I'm looking forward to the most. Now, if they tell me that there's going to be major hub areas that everybody's going to know, like a major map of either space stations or known colonies or whatever the case is, where people can gather for things like this, I'm a lot more okay with the game. If I'm being forced to 100% explore the universe and find this on my own, and I may have two months of real game time where I don't interact with another damn human being, I would have a problem with that. See, Some people won't. I, Some and people, I would, that's my dream. Yeah, but I was going to say, to me, that's you just you just described. That, that's like Han Solo's vacation where he just wants to get away from everybody and just go explore shit. That's like, that's, that to me is... That's cool, Brilliant. but I want to have a space it's, for both. I, exactly. If they can arrange it in such a way that your the 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 map of the your quote unquote known universe is um, procedurally generated as you explore more and more, mm-hmm. so that you can go back to places you've explored, maybe even leave notes of different places and things like that i've just explored all that kind of cool stuff to me that's that's heaven the idea of just going off and exploring and finding the star trek thing of you know exploring brave new worlds and just kind of going around and seeing what's there and not knowing now the, the the flip side of that to kind of go with some of what you're saying is they would have to make sure that they implement a some form of communication so that you can talk to are, are they guilds or clans that they're calling them in this game clans I I think. clans so you'd be able to talk to your clan and be able to pinpoint where you are so you find something cool you can easily pinpoint to where Give it is so that and have everybody, everybody can come and join you kind of thing so as long as they can implement those social features around it as well while still allowing you to go off on your own pff, to me that's like i said that's heaven yeah, because that's one of the things I liked about Eve. Like, I, w- I could go and explore and find random things. I couldn't go down to the planets or anything like that. But I could drop a line. I could drop a beacon and have people come and join me. And like, hey, I found a, a wrecked ship or I found one of the instances that's randomly floating in the Eve space where you have to go through and find the cores. And I could have people join me. I could drop a beacon and have everybody come to me. That's cool. Like, I enjoy that part of it. I just had the hilarious nightmare scenario of spending a week just going off into deep space, you know, off the edges of your map, finding a place no one's ever been to before, coming across a great planet, and there's a beacon in orbit saying that it's been stripped mined by 420 Blaze It. <laughs> oh, boy. All about the ore, man. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Please. the uh, the BAFTA Awards were last week as well, the British Academy Game Awards. And there was a really good accepted speech from Ellie, who is Ashley Johnson, because she won for Best Female Performer. Was it Best Performer or Best Female Performer? Best Performer. Best Performer. 
and yeah, because she was longer. nominated alongside Troy Baker, so yeah. it's they don't uh, they don't uh, yeah. So that was awesome. But the, what was funny with this one was the best game, like you said earlier, was given to Destiny. We we've both played Destiny. Fantastic game. Yay. It's a fantastic game in a lot of different regards, but. I just could not possibly give it best of year when stacked against the the others. Different people have different criteria. Yeah. So I, I, it wouldn't be my game of the year either, but I, I can see it being somebody's game of the year. I don't know. Yeah, just not mine. The uh, story of the year went to Last of Us Left Behind for Ali, so that was that was good as well. Best multiplayer, Hearthstone. Kind of surprising and kind of not. It's the the yeah. popularity is is continues to spike with that game, and they already have a, a, a player base established with their other games. So it makes sense that they're going to have a, a jump start over a lot of the other games. And it just turned one year old as well. So, mm-hmm. but uh, we've established already that we love that game. So that's good. Okay, moving on. Some other news that we got. Telltale is actually not going to be doing their super show with Lionsgate. But I haven't heard anything else saying who it's going to be with or how it's going to proceed. But we were talking about that not that long ago, just that they had announced they were going to do the super show with Lionsgate. Turns out, no, not so much. So Lionsgate still has invested a lot in them. So I'm curious what, in fact, not just the super show is going to be and who they're going to be working with for that, if anybody, but what they're going to be doing with Lionsgate after all. I have to imagine the deal for the Super Show is probably in place before Lionsgate yeah, came yeah, around. Yeah. So now they're just invested in this business and you know, going forward, they'll have a better partnership perhaps. Yeah, so we'll see what comes out of that. We also got some Final Fantasy news. One for a HD remake of a, an older game that's finally coming out for this gen's console and as well for heaven's words some information about the collected editions so vince i'll let you take this yeah so we have final fantasy type zero is coming out tomorrow and it's been a long wait i mean, it started off as a mobile phone game uh which was a spin-off of the 13 line of games that came out and then they morphed it into a psp game not vita psp uh called type zero they spun it off into its own franchise. And now we're getting, like you said, the HD port of that Type Zero finally available in North America for the first time. I mean, the game looks old. It looks better than I would expect an upscale <laughs> yeah, yeah. PSP game to look, but it still looks like, wow. But I mean, <laughs> it's it's a game that I haven't been super interested in. Like I was like, OK, maybe but god this trailer they showed off for it as soon as they started playing the battle with the four fiends like the their remix of it from final fantasy 4 i was like oh i know i'm gonna end up playing this game (laughs) (laughs) it's it's actually getting really good reviews uh like there's some cool stuff they're doing with it that since it's not a mainline final fantasy game uh, that the director even said that's why it's called type zero they want this to be kind of the beginning of a new series all of itself that is within the final fantasy franchise but kind of spins its own different direction on things both from maybe a gameplay standpoint but as well as like the focus and the concept because the the characters in this game are all students at a military academy 
And it's kind of like what we saw in Final Fantasy VIII, but instead about being all about saving the world, uh, apparently from what I've read, the story really dives into you know, the horrors of war and the loss that are experienced and the fact that these are essentially children who are being trained to kill and be disposable soldiers and that the game really addresses a lot of those themes, which I find that pretty interesting. I All of these games have kids, though. So right. it's it's the kids saving the day, kids from well, a no, school but, but saving the, that are trained. Again, it's, it's the concept of the way that these kids are treated, that they're basically treated almost as cannon fodder. And that it it, it delves more into, like I said, the the wartime aspect than the heroic aspect. Yes. And I do like the the idea of this, you know, massive empire that's not so much with the nice and you got the the blend of the mechs and the magics and the things like that. And the 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 only thing that I found but I mean you gotta be used to it. It's a Final Fantasy game. Mm-hmm. It's gonna have high school kids that are kicking ass, that are way more powerful than either they let on or what is normal or whatever, and they save the day. So when I saw that, I was like, ah, oh. I was a little disappointing because it is my thing. Same thing. Like, but I they fought a goddamn cactus. A so could please don't mess with the cactus. <laughs> Never mess with a cactus. I've got a vacation. I've got a week off coming up in a few weeks. And I was like, you know, there'd be a perfect time to play a new Final Fantasy game. No way in hell am I spending $60 for this. I refuse to pay $60 for an upscaled PSP game. That ain't happening. Yeah. 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 No, thank you. Yeah. So. Uh, it'll drop in price eventually, or maybe we'll get it as a PS Plus freebie. <laughs> That'd be cool. Because, yeah, there was, again, there wasn't enough that I saw that really hooked me in. And granted, I'm not a huge Final Fantasy buff. So, it, which was funny because as I was watching it, the trailer doesn't tell you a whole hell of a lot. No. It's just flashing imagery thrown at you. But that's, again, par for the course. All that just imagery fu- is really cool to an actual Final Fantasy fan. That's what I mean. I'm watching this thinking somewhere in Japan, there's a lot of people that were wigging out when they saw this and recognized maybe some of these people grasped everything that was going on. I'm somewhere going, in my house, there yeah. was someone doing that. Okay. Not so much with me. I was like, okay, well, at least with the newer stuff, I can say it's pretty and impressive. Mm-hmm. This stuff is like you know, somewhat underwhelming. Of course, the ice skating thing was cool. You don't see that very often. <laughs> so, yeah, like you said, that's coming out uh, tomorrow, actually. Mm-hmm. So if they drop the price eventually, it'd be cool. And yeah. then we got the information about the collected editions for Heaven's Word. This mm-hmm. we're all excited for. <laughs> Give me that helmet. Give me that helmet. Give so me that helmet. those uh, bad decisions I was talking about last week. Oh, I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Freaking Guess hit. who reactivated his account this weekend? <laughs> you did good, kid. You did good. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, announced uh, for our various editions. The basic game itself is going to be $40, which is yeah, standard for an MMO expansion. The collector's edition is $60, and there is definitely some cool stuff in there. Joe's helmet, <laughs> of course. Dark Tussle <laughs> helmet, yes. 
I, I'm actually more excited to get the the cane little wind up minion pet. Like <laughs> I really want that one. You, know, you get an awesome griffin that you can ride on, as well as a uh, a Fantasia, which is basically a, a character reset. You can change your appearance and your race and all that stuff. Uh, we also have the giant collector's edition, which is uh, how much did they say? One fifty nine, I think it was. And it comes in a really nice box with uh, Yoshitaka Mano art, which is kind of the hallmark of the Final Fantasy franchise, and a, ma- a statue of one of the flying mounts in the game, as well as an art book and a Blu-ray containing the trailers <laughs> that, that they've funny. released from the various patches. Like uh, uh, one twenty-nine. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to spend the money, but it's comparable to other collector's editions we've seen over the years. Actually, it's a little cheaper for a statue one. Yeah, I thought it was a, lot, a little cheaper. The, the, I would have liked a DVD that has like making of and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Not something you could find on freaking YouTube that they even have the playlists already made up so you can queue it up and watch them all one after another. But still, it's it still is a little cheaper than the uh, some of the other ones we've seen. And if you don't already have the game, they are selling the expansion and also as a combo, uh, $59.99 for the expansion and the base game itself. Yeah, see, that I was hoping that it would be a little bit cheaper because then you wind up, you're paying 20 bucks for the game. Well, and yeah, there I mean, isn't... it still retails for about $40 right now, so that's no, a deal. No, it doesn't. No. It is, yeah, it's $39.99. No, on, well, on Steam, you can get it for 20 bucks right now. Because it's on sale. It's not right. on sale on Steam right now. There's no way the regular price is I'm $20. looking right now. I'm I'm telling you I was on freaking Steam earlier looking it up and it was it was on for 20 bucks. And 44 for the yeah, 21.99. Hmm. So, yeah. and it's not I mean, saying it's sale. That's not saying sale. The collector's edition is 39.99. No, the yeah, the, I'm I'm looking at the Canadian prices obviously. Collectors is 40 bucks, 44.99 and regular is 22. Um, and that's a regular price. I've seen it on sale for half price where you're looking at 10 bucks or so. And I'm really hoping that happens between now and June. <laughs> so sure I will. I'll make, buy make a sale. last push to get people in. Yeah. And at that point I'll, you know, buy a copy. Because the, the problem is, is again, 20 bucks. So same as normal, but they don't give you the option of buying a version that has the collectors and the previous version. Mm-hmm. So that would sell say for 79 bucks. So that, I, I would like the digital collectors because those items are cool and I'll, I'll take them. And, and they were also very careful to point out if you bought or are going to buy the base game through Steam, you have to buy the expansion through Steam as well. Oh, did they? I didn't read mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah because, that was actually really nice. Because if you buy it outside of Steam, you're using Square's system for everything instead of Steam. Oh, okay. I and wonder of if course, Steam... To, Today is the day pre-orders went live and servers melted. (laughs) Setting a very suspect precedent to the servers immediately. The the Bahamut summons did not make it out of the server room is what I got out of that. There's also the pre-order bonuses as well, too, that they listed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some nice little fun stuff. The the circlet and earrings. Eh, don't care so much. But that Chocobo chick courier. (laughs) (laughs) That sucker's awesome. Little chocobo with the top hat and a feather. I thought I'll pre-order chocobo with the top hat. How can you say no? Is what I'm saying. (laughs) So I'll I'll say quickly uh, since I played it for a significant amount this weekend. (laughs) Like it, I it. God, it's such a great game. Like even when I was playing Wild Star and Guild Wars, as much as I enjoyed them, 
I played for an hour or two and I'm like, okay, I'm tired. I'm ready to go do something else. I was just sucked into this game for hours on end on Sunday. Like I got to level 16. Okay. <laughs> it's like, okay. Why? Quick and dirty. Know. Why? No, I, I can't, I can't quantify it. All I know is I wanted to keep playing instead of, okay, the chair is a little uncomfortable. I want to go lay down for a little while. Hmm. Yeah. I can, under- I can understand that because the game has a lot of, visual breadcrumbs in a lot of ways, like a lot of subtle cues that kind of entice you to keep going and keep going and keep going. It just has a very nice way of presenting itself to make you want to look at more things, whether it's interacting with NPCs or just kind of like exploring. Like when I was playing, that, that's what I did most of the time was just kind of like run around and see what I could find. And that was very rewarding and very fun, which I haven't said about a lot of games in a long time. So I can definitely see how you could get sucked in for hours. There's a lot of good stuff there. Was it mostly Vince? Because you just said it was exploration, mm-hmm. but it was was it mainly that the story kept you locked in and you wanted to keep progressing with the story, or that you were just having fun doing whatever questing it was and exploration and stuff like that? Well, at this point, I'm still uh, since I just created a new character instead of picking up an old one. I'm still replaying through the parts of the story I've already done previously. So it's not that, but it's just. I'm like connecting with the the class. I'm really enjoying playing the Marauder. The giant, you know, battle axe wielding tank is a lot of fun. Uh, the group content is a lot of fun now that I can actually get into it. Because you're a tank. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's, the game just plays really well, and I just lost myself for an amount of time. Cool. Uh, Joe, did you do a healer in this game? Uh, no, I actually played an archer working my way up to bard. Huh. Okay. Because I want to be a cat bard, because cat bard. I am curious how the healing is in this game, if it's par for the course with every other MMO or if there's some originality to it. From what I've seen, it's somewhat standard, but I know one of the healing classes is a summoner, and uh, your Mm -hmm. pet actually does the healing while you do other stuff. What, sit down and have martinis? (laughs) What what are you going to be doing? (laughs) Whacking someone with a stick? Busting stuff, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So you continue to cast other spells while this class heals you. I don't know that I trust the AI to be healing effectively. Well, you you, you have healing spells of your own. You just don't need Mm -hmm. to be constantly healing. You can do other stuff. Cool. It's like a light well, but cuter. Awesome. Okay. All right. Let's move on to Crowfall because we got some more news for that as well. They released a lot of information regarding the character progression, but also we got information regarding the mounts for the stretch goal. So go ahead, Joe. I'm going to start with character promotion because this one I actually like. <laughs> so I want a ha- Falcon. <laughs> so you have your base class, uh, whether you pick whatever you pick. And then when you get to a certain point, when you earn enough experience, you get to that sort of milestone. You can actually promote your character into a specialization. Now, they did note that the specialization choice is permanent. You do not get to change this once you select it. So the example that they gave was the Templar with the Paladin, the Judicator, and the Fury, where you could be, you know, a tanky character, um, you could be more of a DPSer, or you could be more of a uh, kind of like a hybrid. It was really interesting to kind of see how that works out. Uh, it gives you specific abilities, obviously, to whatever role you decide. And then you also get access not only to your promoted class, but you also get like subclasses, like almost like sub jobs that you can unlock, uh, masteries that you unlock through runestones, like your Falcon Master, or you can become an alchemist, or you could become a master of werewolf powers, which I thought was rather interesting. So these disciplines are actually really kind of cool, and they add an extra flair to it. 
And those kind of come in a interchangeable pack. So you can activate, deactivate, move around runes. But I thought it was actually kind of cool, the idea of promoting your character into another class. Uh, I wasn't, I, I like that it was kind of permanent because that choice actually has weight. And I like that because a lot of the other things in this game aren't permanent, whether it's seasons yeah. or the next item, mounts. But what do you guys think about the character promotion so far from what you've seen? I like it for the same reason that you just explained, because it is that level of permanence that you don't get otherwise. The only reason, the only thing that I don't like about it is the fact that, again, because we have so few alt mm. spaces... That means there that you're either going to have to no doubt shell out money for more spaces if you wind up choosing something and it's not what you'd hope for. And eventually it's like, I'm not even enjoying this quite as much. You may not want to necessarily delete the character to make room for another one, which means then you're buying another slot to try something different. That's the only thing that I didn't like about that. And I'm sure that design is on purpose for specifically that reason to be able to sell you more character slots as well. Yeah, here we are with another famous Vince prediction. So at 7.59 p.m. on Monday, March 16th, 2015. These have never been wrong. (laughs) You will be able to change your specialization. Oh, I'm sure. For (laughs) $14.99. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, I... I I, They they have to monetize it in some, some manner. I understand that. And I'm all right with that to a certain degree. When mm-hmm. when you when your monetization begins to feel like you're squeezing money out of your players, that's when you have a problem. By by examples of, the, of what they've said so far, unfortunately, that's what I'm afraid is going to be happening. If it doesn't, great. I'll be happy to give them more money in whatever way I can. But if it feels like they're just ringing money out of you? Yeah, I don't like supporting that. Well, I think it's going to depend on how far the disciplines are allowed to affect your gameplay style. Because in previous games that many of these developers that are working on this project were involved with, your disciplines, your secondary casting class or your secondary job choice could be as prevalent or powerful as your primary archetype. So if they go something along those lines to allow you to seek out new runestones or to change your loadout to offset it. Like, let's say I play a tanky character and I decide that I don't want to tank or somebody else wants to group up with me that is a tank and doesn't have any interest in anything that's other than tanking. Let me turn into a giant goddamn bear and maul something, and I'm okay with that. As long as I had that option to sort of not circumvent the system, but have that sort of flexibility to still work within the system and do other things. Because that's one of the... Sorry, go ahead. Dual spec. Dual spec, essentially. Yep. And that's and that's what disciplines should wind up being. Now, if they do wind up like that, that's fine because that tracks with pretty much every other MMO that's out there in some capacity, whether it's you have a different job that you can level up, uh, whether it's a dual spec, tri spec, whatever the case is. If it lets you have that level of control over your character's secondary and it makes it as powerful and prevalent as your archetype or even just a little bit below it, I'm okay with it at that point. Okay. Uh, moving on, we also got the information about the uh, the mounts. So this one, I don't <laughs> know if I like. I love it. <laughs> the, you, you like temporary mounts? I do. Because, again, it's, it's adding flair to those, those campaigns so that you're going to have 
a different experience in each of them. So it's again, I'm I've been in a different frame of mind because of some of the different games that I've been playing. Because some of the MMOs have not been quite as much fun. Where now I'm looking just at I'm just going in. I'm playing. Doesn't matter necessarily if I get tons further ahead or whatever. It's just have fun in this experience. And so that's why I'm getting more on board with this idea of the campaigns as well. So yeah, there's the permanence outer circle, but the campaigns can be just whatever. And the idea that you just kind of, you bounce in and then at some point you either tame something and you use that as a mount for a little while and it can fight with you and all that. I really, really like that idea a lot. So for those of you that are listening, you don't know what's going on here so far. You, your character has an option while you're in a campaign or while you're out in the world that your character will be able to subdue and train and tame beasts, not just mounts, but also potentially companions, whether they're pack animals or, or things that fight alongside you. Mounts will have the option to ferry you from place to place like a traditional mount. Uh, you can set the mounts to follow you. Uh, they can fight on their own. But here's kind of an interesting thing that a lot of people, I don't think uh, this generation of MMO players have really considered. Your mounts have their own hit points. They can be killed, which means that if you lose that mount, you're going to have to go tame another one. So that, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of players are probably not going to like that. Some will absolutely love it because it means that they can go into PvP battles and grief people. I don't know how I feel about it yet. I'm on the fence because I can see the merits of it and, and I can see the merits of not doing it. But it's an interesting decision that they made. Now, on top of that, you also have options for summons or figurines, items in the game that you can use to summon mounts as well. These mounts will also have hit points. They can die. But instead of being gone forever once they're dead, the item that they came from or the spell that they was used to summon them will be on a longer cooldown or suffer durability loss. And it's part of the idea of nothing in this game is permanent aside from your outer realms on a, totally within the realm of their design scope. I think that's kind of cool, and I like that idea of having an item with charges, so to speak, or a durability that over time will crack. Now, for some of the stretch goals, they unlock special mounts that players that supported the Kickstarter will have access to. There was one of the questions that I'm sure many people are going to be asking about those. These are going to be items that are going to be along the same lines, are going to have a limited number of uses or charges or durability, and once they're gone, they're dead. However, they're making amends or, or a sort of circumventing system for the people that did back the Kickstarter where there will be ways to reclaim that visual effect whether it's you have to spend money in the game or you have to go on a quest or there's going to be something that allows you to reclaim that visual mount aspect, which is good for the people that are doing the Kickstarter. I think that's very nice of them to do, but it's an interesting take entirely on mounts and animal companions as a whole. I'm wondering how that's going to work for, say, the centaur character. They though. already said centaurs, he doesn't get Centaurs mount. don't get mounts. They already answered that question. They, they get a move speed buff already. Right, so that kind of gives them an advantage. No, they don't have to worry about their mount getting killed and having to get a new one. That's true, but I'm guessing that along the lines of you can just go out and tame another creature. Yeah, but to say that they don't have to worry about their mount getting killed, while well, they also don't get to tame a mount and have something awesome to ride on top, so it's like 
But they also, one they also may miss out on Animal Companion to fight alongside them, and they don't also miss out on things like pack animals. Yeah, there's a lot of things that they'll miss out on okay. as well. And can can I mount a centaur? <laughs> they didn't say. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> you want to define mount, though, because they get lonely. Well, the, the only centaurs in the game are male, so there's only hey, one. <laughs> you don't know. There's there's some very pretty centaurs out there. I'm sure that uh, they get colors. They features. So I again, I'm all for this. I I really like that idea, but partially it's also because I'm not looking at this really as an MMO. Yeah, it is an MMO in some regards, but by sheer virtue of everything that they've already explained about the impermanence of everything and whatnot, I'm already seeing this more as kind of you know an RTS kind of thing and you just kind of play for a little while and then you're done and move on. And then you have some permanence with your character and different things like that, certainly, but the actual gameplay for the majority of the point won't have that permanence. So to not have permanence with the mounts fits. It makes sense. I'm, and I'm like 100% on board with it. I think it's a fantastic idea. Well, as long as you, I mean, I like the idea because you can go out and tame other mounts. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that part I like, because that was always one of my gripes about World of Warcraft. When I played a hunter, I wanted to know why the hell I couldn't just go find a fucking horse and tame it. Yeah. Well, Jesus, you tame a freaking bear to fight for you. It's not exactly. a big deal for him to give you a ride around. Come on, buddy. Exactly. I feed it I feed it meat. I'm Charge it into battle. Let me ride on its fucking back. The other thing that they hinted about with this, but they said will depend on stretch goals and whether or not they have enough money to put it in all that, was... They might allow mount breeding as well. So that if you have a couple of different, you you, you get a the couple. Of, they didn't even say whether or not it would be, you know, mixed creatures or you have to tame two bears <laughs> to get another bear. They didn't really say if they're going to men. It would make sense that it'll have to be the same because they can't do the graphics for every kind of mixed Okay, so thing, can I take but, a dwarf pack creature and a bear and make a dwarf bear centaur thing? Because that would be awesome. There'd be a lot of awesome if they allowed it. Highly unlikely. But even then, just to say, there might be some, you might be Watch able to for the flying freaking breed your things like Pokemons. So that'd be awesome. Okay, let's move on to yet another MMO. And this is with uh, Wildstar. We got some information about their next drop, which is going to be Invasion Nexus. Now, there was some bad news with them as well that just came out as it was from the Korean investment firm, KDB Daewoo securities. I don't know why they're involved. If they were planning on buying up NC soft or what's going on, but they were actually predicting how they feel Wildstar is doing. And they're seeing it at 585,000 revenue per month. And that dropping they were gave all the percentages for how they perceive it to to keep going and it's going to keep dropping. So not really the best of news. That being said, again, the drops are putting in a lot of cool things. There's going to be, they're going to be allowing you to switch your outfits on the fly, which is something that you Mm -hmm. had to typically go to town for. They're introducing vanity pets, which everybody loves this shit. So it's awesome. I, I love it. And then there's going to be a new raid, 20 person raid 
And that's going to be uh, in the initialization core Y83. The quote here is a mysterious Elden facility responsible for a technophage virus that could turn every AI on Nexus into a crazed techno zombie. They had me a techno zombie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that means the free bots are in big trouble. Give everybody's favorite renegade mechanicals some wholesome organic assistance to deal with the technophage on its home turf. That sounds friggin' awesome. And then they're putting a new adventure in as well called Bay of Betrayal, which is an alternate version of Levian Bay. And then they're also going to be allowing same faction fighting for their PVP. So that's great because sometimes you queue up for PVP and you come back a week later and it still hasn't allowed you in. So that's, that's good. Again, some cool stuff being put in. Hopefully this got tested enough beforehand so that there's not going to be a ton of bugs when it comes out. Again, it's it's a game that I still really, really love. And I just wish that they hadn't have come out of the gate with that hardcore mentality because I think they would have started with a much larger player base and potentially been able to hang on to them as well. Mm-hmm. I think, that's, I think that, that's part of the problem too. I think also part of the problem is that it's a, another competing subscription yeah. game. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, And the, the problem is right now with the way that the, the MMO market is flooded with choice, when you have games like Guild Wars 2 out there, which is a phenomenal game, and then you have the 9,000-pound gorilla that's still sitting in the room, stinking up the joint, when you have WoW out there with its sub, if you want to occupy that space, you have to really examine your subscription models. And it doesn't seem like a lot of these games are doing that. And that was honestly my one problem with Wildstar. Again, the same reason that I didn't activate a brand new sub for Final Fantasy XIV after my two-week free trial was up. I don't want a second subscription. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I really hope that they see the light with this sooner than later. Because I think that if they can lift that and do a good job with their pay-to-play kind of subscription model, I think that they'll see an influx of players, and that would be awesome. Look, look, I'm going to lay it out like this. Lord of the Rings Online was a shitty MMO when it first came out. It was absolutely fucking terrible. It was unplayable. They went free-to-play. They clean up their shit, and it got a 700% increase in revenue immediately after going free-to-play. And it retained that value for years as far as their money incoming. Turbine floated on that, on that alone, on taking the game free-to-play. Take note of that, other MMOs. It can be done. Just take your heads out of your asses. Take a look at things. You've got a great game. Get it to people to play it, and they will give you money. Yeah. Agree. Okay, let's move on. We got a little bit of information on Bloodborne as well. There was a hands-on that they wrote about on the uh, PlayStation blog. Not a ton of information, just enough to give you a little bit of details in terms of your choices when you create your character and things like that. It's got they they incorporated the lore of the world into your player creation in terms of you know if you want a character that's going to have high resilience or high strength or things like that. They discussed yet again how they want the game to have a much faster pace drop that shield and work on your dodging. And also there's a regen system, uh, a regain system, which regenerates lost health by actually striking creatures that afflicted damage to you, which is mm-hmm. really friggin' awesome. They were talking yet again about just how gorgeous 
this world is and how the environment looks and feels alive. Again, more talking about the weapons. And it was interesting hearing about, you know, how the different weapons really affect your play type as well. And for me, the most important thing was they did discuss the PS Vita remote play as well, which they introduced some clever button mapping to make it so that it feels just as good playing on the Vita. So that was well, awesome. Those Vita controls seemed a little awkward to me. Not for me. What okay. they were saying, I was, t- I was, but but like I'm doing having it now. used the the front touch screen for some of the combat stuff, when it's right there though. It's it's but right, but what, half wouldn't too. your thumbs be better ser- served on the sticks? <laughs> I find that yes and no because there's different things. Other games that I do use that, and I find that it's I put the 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 thumb portion. You can put like the the button on almost on the your your knuckle kind of on your the bottom of your thumb and still be easily able to reach over and tap tap the, right. the screen. Seems so, awkward to me, but I haven't done a whole lot of the remote play stuff. Yeah. I, I've done a little, quite a bit, so that's why when I was looking at this I was like, this actually feels really, really good. They also did mention the Chalice Dungeon, which I actually had to go on their site to check and see get more information about that. But that sounds freaking Awesome. Again, I keep it's it's essentially riffs from Diablo three kind of thing, and it's set in the ruins beneath Yarmin. And they were talking about a whole bunch of the different stuff that you can find there and whatnot. And it sounds freaking awesome. There, so. There's there's a lot I like about this game, but I'm cautiously optimistic because it's going to have to do a few things for me to buy into it. Such as, like I said, with Dark Souls. I'm okay with difficulty. I just hate having to replay a half hour of a true, game over true. and over yeah. again because of the difficulty. Right. Yeah, I'm going to be kind of holding off for this, no pre-orders. But if it can go on sale after a little while and if it's gotten some good enough um, reviews and word of mouth, then I really, really would like to check it out. Because, again, I it, it feels so much like just a... a gorgeous Diablo kind of thing where you just run in, wreck shit up, kill a whole bunch of demons, and then take your loot. Like, it's awesome. Devil May Cry and Dark Souls had yeah. a beautiful fucking baby. Yeah. Okay, lastly, we're going to touch on another Kickstarter. Kickstarter's become a place where if, for shows like us, it's just as important as big dev news for when games are announced and whatnot, because this is where a lot of games are now being announced. And the one that I found is seven dragon saga. And this is coming from some veterans of D and D games. So Joe, I'll let you take this. So everybody, we talked about the glory days of the tactical RPG game, like Baldur's gate tales of the sword coast, Planescape torment and all those games. These are the game, this Mm -hmm. game comes from people that preceded that generation of games. We're talking Pool of Radiance and a whole bunch of other TSR classic games. These are, I don't want to say a pedigree that I thought had died out, uh, but I had not heard of any of these people in years, 20, 20 years easy. Now, I think it's really cool what they're doing here. They're creating a, a game in the similar style to the Baldur's Gate. It's a tactical RPG where players control uh, six characters at a time in a turn-based tactical game. Very, very cool. I also find it really interesting that instead of going off of the D&D system like they've done in the past, apparently they've created their own sort of game system, which is very intriguing to me. I don't know if you remember the old... Uh, SSI games from way back in the day. The interface. I played a few of them yeah. way back when. 
you'll probably agree with me on this then the interface and learning curve was absolutely fucking horrendous on all of those games what Pool, interface exactly <laughs> Pool of Radiance particularly I love and hate that game at the same time it is so frustrating but it's so good like the story elements were fantastic the gameplay just I don't know what the hell they were thinking this has all the earmarks of being in that same vein. It, I, I am cautiously optimistic. The world that they're putting together with the chaos touched, the heroes that are sort of into the world that have powers above all the normal men, uh, the undead that, or I want to say undead, but the ones that chaos and life have blown these, these creatures' minds away. Uh, there's a cool kind of like story going on here about a balance of power between good and evil. It's a classic trope, but it works really, really well. But I still have that fear. I have that fear in the back of my head when I heard them talking, when I saw the initial, when I saw the CEO sitting in front of the case, the case of all the old games, like it just, there's a little thing in the back of my head's like, oh my God, it's going to be, it's going to be pool of radiance again, isn't it? It's going to be so glorious. It's going to be amazing. And then it's going to, it's going to have a shitty interface. Now we haven't really seen much about the gameplay yet because again, it's just starting and they're hitting what are they 27 days left on the Kickstarter? So it just started, but it has some interesting potential. It it has some really cool ideas. And one of the Kickstarter things that I'm really liking that they're doing here that we've seen in other ones, particularly Shadowrun, is that at a certain level, I believe it's the $40 mark, you get the game and a source book to play the game in pencil and paper form, which I think is very, very important, at least to me. I'm almost more interested in that than I am in the actual game. <laughs> like, like some of the the stuff I'm seeing here, like the character creation, like there's some interesting concepts there, but I'm not seeing enough that makes me want to put my money behind it. Like we, we haven't seen much of an actual game because it's still a concept, but it's a concept right. based on, like you said, guys that I don't know what they've done in the last 25 years. So, you know, looking at Kickstarter as an investment, I'm not feeling terribly comfortable with that. And on the character stuff, too, just to kind of touch on that, they're they're pulling in from a lot of different sort of inspirations. There's a lot of Savage World stuff in there. There's a lot of D&D stuff in there. There's some GURPS and Palladium stuff that they're pulling on, where when you level your character up, you get creation points to spend on either ideals or descriptors, and those descriptors define your character abilities. While it's a very cool concept... I'm not sure how well that's going to translate to a game where min-maxing is definitely going to be needed at some point. See, mm. I actually like that. I like that, and I like the fact that the the distinctive personality is based on different questions as well for each of your characters. I, again, there's a lot of things there that I really liked those. It's hard to obviously talk too much about the game, per se, just because it's not done yet and we don't have the information. What the reason I wanted to talk about it is a these are important people in the history of game making, and mm-hmm. so this has the potential to be very, very good. But like Vince was saying too, and that's a concern that I have. You have to wonder whether or not these guys, these pioneers in this type of game, are stuck in that time as well. And when you're seeing the video, albeit yes, it's a very it's not even alpha at this point kind of thing. It's the lowest it of budget still videos. Looks very much like they're going to be following that same style of play, which, while popular, you know, in the eighties and nineties kind of thing, 
we've moved past that point and you can create fantastic D and D type games and things like that without falling on those old types of gameplay. And so that's, that was my concern as well too, that maybe, maybe yes, they're pioneers in the field and they can come up with some good ideas, but maybe they won't have enough original people in their crew to make sure that they're also doing well, original stuff with UI, with the, the, the manner in which the game plays. The other concern that I have about that, too, from a similar topic to what we talked about at the end of last episode is that I'm worrisome that their mindset is still stuck in the gamer geek mentality of the 80s on an interpersonal level and that the contributors to some of the worst tropes yeah. of gaming <laughs> is going to just enter this with a gigantic explosion of failure. We'll see. I am following one, it and I am looking forward to seeing what comes of it. One really cool thing though, that uh, was kind of buried in the middle of their Kickstarter is their concept of the gateway. As, as they say here with the gateway, TSI is inviting RPG developers to take part in an initiative that harkens back to the days of classic RPGs like the Bard's Tale, Ultima and Wizardry, where players could continue their adventure by porting over their characters and parties into different RPGs without having to create them from scratch within each game. The initiative will be rolled out in TSI's debut title, Seven Dragon Saga, beginning with support for NXIL's Torment, Tides of Numenera, and Shadowrun Hong Kong by Harebrain Schemes. I miss that. Yeah, so you can take your Shadowrun team or your Torment team and port them into Seven Dragon Saga. That's kind oh. of awesome. That's, That's kind cool. of awesome, yes. <laughs> that is an interesting possibility of interconnecting all these game worlds. Wow. That is absolutely old school design concept because, like you said, going back to those old games, you know, all those Plains developers Gate knew format. each other. Yep. You know, they, they they all worked out of the same basement, like so. It made sense just to you know share little bits of code to be able to transfer their characters back and forth. So, like that, that's something that I hope uh, continues into the modern era. Yeah, very cool. Okay, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us live. You can come and join us next week on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at ForTheLore.com slash live. You can also find us on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually, Joel at LoaderZJ, Vince at Simodian, and myself at ZenBuddhist. And you can leave us your thoughts and comments on iTunes and iTunes. Yes, iTunes and Stitcher. We are there. All right. With that, we'll talk to you guys next week. Well, it's a one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, and I go, can't go, but don't you step on my blue. You're awfully quiet tonight. Well, you can you say so? <laughs> Just got here. I was going to say, he's been on the call for like less than a minute. And normally we've heard from him by now. That's fair. And I'll pay him for free. Wasn't that nice of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll sort I, of I can pay him too, but it's like spray paint. <laughs> and they're all blue. <laughs> no, no, turn brown, Roger. Turn brown. <laughs> no, it's a fancy speckled blue. <laughs> this here is a gemstone blue. You gotta understand the intricacies. See those fleckles? They cost extra. But for you, free, my friend. It's got a little extra shiny to it. But you know what? I'll throw it in on the house. Got some spit polish, but don't worry, I was tested and safe. (laughs) (laughs) 
reminds me I need to roll up stats for Robin. That's her name. Yeah. Wench. That's her name. So you have a sidekick named Robin. Go back and listen to the episode <laughs> when you were talking to the farm hands or the stable hands. One of them called her Miss Robin. That's that's. I cannot make that up. That is exactly the way it worked out. Well, you literally made that up. What? <laughs> <laughs> you jacket. I can't Smart make that. You're the fucking DM. You make this up every week. <laughs> I deserve that. I'm sure Roger will get her killed off next time anyway. I didn't name her, so I don't have to be partial to her. It's so like I created this wonderful backstory for the horse saleswoman. Now you have to. Or did I? No, I don't. I just need to give her stats. It's your problem now. We'll see about that. <laughs> just waiting for Joe to ask. So, Robin, tell us about yourself over a campfire. Vince, you're all. See, I don't know. She's, she's, uh, she's racist, though. She doesn't like them orcs. I can't say as I blame her. The only ones I've had experience with have been assholes. <laughs> Fair. Don't make me feel this way. Come on over here and love me. You know what I wanted you to say. Don't be cruel. Do hard is true. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Ooh.